Hey, it's Sean Fennessy, host of The Big Picture. Did you just see the latest tentpole blockbuster? Or a surprisingly fun new movie on a streaming service? Or maybe you just want to bone up on the greatest films ever made? From reviews to rankings, career retrospectives to movie drafts, and everything in between, The Big Picture is here for you. Listen to The Big Picture for free on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. You look like you haven't slept in a couple days. Man, okay, so last night we had the premiere of the show, and I don't really drink. And then someone's like, here, this thing is called Electric Jellyfish. It's this great beer. And I had like 20 of them, and I got (laughs) super trashed. And then I had to get up at 9 a.m. and do a bunch of, uh, no, I had to start doing uh, interviews at 9 a.m., and then Amy Gravitt, who's like the head of comedy at HBO, called me and was like, let's go have breakfast tacos. So I did that. And Austin is great. I just, so yesterday was emotional for you because the show you've been working on for a while. Yeah. That was the first time you had shown it to an audience, Barry. Yeah, yeah. At the Alamo Draft House, which yeah. is one of the greatest ideas I've ever seen for anything. Like they just bring you beer and popcorn nonstop. It's I like a it. movie nerd's dream. Yeah. Like I don't have to go nowhere. They bring the beer to me. Or... <laughs> I watched my Godzilla movie and yeah, no, it was great. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it is, it's like, uh, it's not nerve wracking or anything. It's just kind of like you do that. And then that lifts the, uh, embargo on reviews, right? Which I didn't know about. So it's like, it's aired and then I'm sitting there with HBO and they go, Oh, Hollywood reporter review just came in. Oh, variety review just came in. And then I was like, you're like, what'd they say? I just got drunk. The, when you're listening to the audience reactions for stuff like that, what are you listening to? I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh, I you don't, weren't even in there? No, I don't go. I just go, oh, okay, you guys have fun. Because for some reason... But you I, were there. I was there, but I left. <laughs> and and uh, I, we inter- introduced it, and then Alec Berg, who I co-created with, he stayed, but I leave. And uh, I don't like... What'd you to, go, like to an alley? Yeah, I just stood in an alley. <laughs> by myself just like the ending of Blair Witch just staring at the wall 
Uh, so no. you come back and they and tell you they, how it went. And they come back and I go, and they go, yeah, 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 but they're laughing. You know, it was very Larry David-like reaction. It was like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know what? I mean, it was a comedy, you know? They, they liked it. <laughs> People were laughing throughout. It's a really different show. And when I read about it, I was a little worried because we've known each other for a long time, and I yeah. like you. I'm like, wow, that's kind of ambitious. I loved it. I'm not. I'm not just saying that. Yeah, because Bill he's showed up, there. which was the nicest thing <laughs> yeah. in the world. I wanted to see it. I was excited. He came out. And he was like, "That was great." And I went, "Oh, you showed up to the thing. That's so sweet." It's about this kind of tortured hitman who basically has not a midlife crisis because he's younger, but all of a sudden has this life crisis and. Just the world. I don't want to spoil too much of it, but he just, he's like a he's like a depressed. He's a former marine who now works as like a hitman, and he's unhappy in his life. And he, he travels to L.A. to kill a guy, and he tails him to his uh, acting class in the Valley, which is run by Henry Winkler. So, needless to say, I'm in. Like with and, just that sentence, I and was... then he decides he sees all these kind of. It's kind of like a version of like Travis Bickle meets the William Money character and Unforgiven, like taxi driver, unforgiving guy <laughs> meets the people from Waiting for Guffman. Yeah. And like, that's his salvation. But the, the violence in it's very brutal and kind of real. Um, so yeah, it's a tonal, it's a tonal tightrope in a way. Yeah. When I started to, we became friendly early part of this decade. I was always interested. You were like a super movie nerd and, kind of fell into this ass backwards getting yeah. into SNL. Like you were you were basically trying to you were like a lot of people out here that are in LA that move move there and they think I'm gonna direct a movie someday. Yeah, I'm yeah. I wanted to be that. That's what I wanted to do is write and direct movies. So yeah. give them the thirty five second this is how I ended up from there to all of a sudden I'm on the cast oh, of SNL. 35 seconds and go. Uh, I moved to LA and I was a PA and then I was an assistant editor and I worked on a bunch of movies and then I uh, was trying to make movies and I didn't and then I ended up... Uh, this is great. Uh, I was at Second City LA taking a class, something to do, and Megan Mullally from Will & Grace saw me in the class because Nick Offerman, she's married to him, his brother Matt Offerman's my friend. We were in a group together. And she said, you should, I, I just, she called me the next week and went, I had dinner with Laura Michaels and I told him about you. And I ended up getting SNL. <laughs> but, that, but that's literally what happened. That is what happened, yeah. It's Megan like Mullally changed my life. She was, yeah, and then now I'm, I'm getting to do the thing I wanted to do initially. I mean, it's just a very weird, circuitous thing. My favorite of all those jobs you had, didn't, weren't you on Playboy Night Calls at one yeah, point? Yeah, yeah, I worked on Playboy Night Calls. Do you guys, you can admit it. You know that show? <laughs> this guy, one dude's like, yeah! yeah! Oh, <laughs> Night Calls, the Playboy channel was a show with these two women that gave sex advice. Yeah. And guys like, would call in and they'd start having sex with their girlfriend. I mean, it was... It was, it was very needless weird. to say, not a show that could have been on network TV, I don't think. Yeah, and so my job was uh, I would go get coffee for the porn stars. Yeah. And that was funny. I was like, I have an order for Candy, Candy, Cindy, <laughs> Stormy, whatever, you know, like, all the names on the cups. Um, but, uh, and then, yeah, I would be sitting there and someone would call in with like a, a fantasy and the guy would come over, the, he's like, hey, Bill, can you get, you know, uh, Cindy and whoever ready? And I was like, hey, guys, um, 
so uh, you guys are going to be having sex together. <laughs> um, so just go out there and do whatever they ask you to do. Uh, I think it's some sort of cowgirl thing. So get ready. I'm Bill. I'm the new PA. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Can I get you a water? Can I get you guys a water? Maybe after. Maybe after a shower. Okay. But it was sad, you know? I mean, in all seriousness, it is that Boogie Nights thing where it was, it was a bit like, you know, uh, you know, it was a bit sad, you know? Well, one of the reasons I like Barry so much is it's set in this part of L.A. that I've always been fascinated by. It's not anywhere near where I live, but it's, yeah. it's the valley, but it's like kind of deep valley. Yeah. A um, lot of like actors working as waiters and waitresses and bartenders and... Like uh, there's scenes in the in the show where like the acting class goes and get beers, and that's kind of this whole area of L.A. Yeah, this area that's like strip malls, and it's it's the it's like the opposite of La La Land. It's not yeah. going on the lot and, and and dancing and stuff. It's it's more kind of the valley that me and my friends knew when we grew up. You know, right. or when we moved there in '99, it was we all lived like in. You know, North Hollywood, Valley Village, like all these areas, and uh, and all your friends were struggling. You know, uh, filmmakers and actors. And Swingers was like the first one that really tapped into. That. Yeah, that was like the Los Feliz thing. Yeah, and the those shirts. And people, <laughs> those bowling everybody shirts. Had, everybody had their own car and low jack. Yeah, that, yeah. We thought those guys were douchey. Yeah. <laughs> we thought like, oh, those guys are doing the. Not the guys in the movie, but the guys who were trying to do swingers. We thought we're like, come on, like let's go to the Dresden. It's like, shut up. <laughs> what did you think? What made you stand out in the O three, O four, or five range from like a comedy standpoint, where Megan Mullally would tell Lorne Michaels? I don't know impressions I, or what? No, it was just doing voices, and uh, I didn't do impressions until my SNL audition. Like I, hadn't, I had never really done it before, and so I was sitting there, kind of just. It was an improv show, and she happened to come on a night. If she had come on Saturday instead of Sunday, I, my and I got in that call because on Sunday I just was hot. Like, it just worked. You know, an improv show, one night's terrible and the other night's great because you're improvising it. And she just happened to be there on a night where I was really funny. And thank God. And we're... What, what would you rank the ratio of people happy for you that you got the call that you worked oh, with versus, most, like, bitter and resentful? Oh, no. Most people were happy. I mean, we had to do the show for Laura Michaels in New York. And so we had to go with my 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 three friends, and they knew that they weren't going to get a job out of this, but they went to support me, which was really cool. Oh. And um, one of those guys is Mel Cowan, who actually went to school out here. Now he's a teacher at UCB, and they, they were just the best. Yeah, I mean, when I did my last show, the next morning I called all those guys and I was like, thank you so much again. Like, I just finished SNL over eight years. Yeah, eight but years of it. You guys, like, you guys, that was so cool that you guys did that. It was so meaningful, you know, so it was cool. There's two types of people on SNL, the type that they just love it and they soak it in, and then the type who are just stressed out the entire time about yeah, I was stressed the week leading up, and you were in that camp. Yeah. Yeah, I did not, I wasn't like, yeah, some friends, some people on there just were so laid back, you know? Like, my Rudolph could just be having a conversation with you, and then they'd be like, and we're on, and she would just, you know, do a thing, and then cut, and then she'd be like, so anyway, boy, you know? And I was like, (laughs) and I would be shaking. 
one time I was Ryan Seacrest, uh, and uh, and I was having to do uh, American Idol, and and I'm it was a cold open. Yeah, it was a Mary Catherine Gallagher cold open where Molly Shannon came back to host, and she came out in the cold open. And I was Ryan Seacrest, and I, I was shaking. I started shaking. I was looking at the crowd, and I'm just like, oh, God, I have to open the show. And uh, Maya Rudolph, just right when the show started, she just put her finger up my ass. <laughs> she just grabbed my ass and went like this, and I went like that, right as they were going to count down. Just, it was sweet. It was like, it was nice. It was just like... Relax, and I was like, "Whoa, whoa!" And there I go, and then I was out of my head, you know. It was so that was a good thing—the old finger up the ass. <laughs> good note for the future cast. Members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, man, if things are going bad, yeah, put your finger up her ass. What? When did you? <laughs> when did you shake off the fear that you were just gonna get the call from Lauren that you were um, done? Uh, like Seth halfway Rog- in? Yeah, it was my season four. Uh, uh, Seth Rogen hosted, and I remember at the after party, Lauren came up to me and said, you can work here as long as you want. Oh. And he was like, "Like, relax. <laughs> <laughs> like, you got the job. You just need to relax, man. I was like, oh, okay, okay, oh, okay. Because I would be pacing around, going over, and I still do it. I mean, I, I'm hosting next week. I'm going to be doing it next week. I'm going to be walking around, you know, going over my stuff, how do I do this, whatever, and, and it's more the anticipation of it, and then you get out there, and then you, it just all kind of goes away, and you're like... <laughs> the la- I hosted, la- last time I hosted, uh, John Mulaney wrote my monologue, and he put, my first line was, I'm so nervous, because he knew I was going to be nervous. <laughs> so I go, I'm so nervous. Bill shouts, I'm so nervous. <laughs> what was that like? Did you feel like the kid who was in college who was going back to high school for, like, the homecoming game? I mean, no, it's more like you're, uh, it's like going back home, you know? Yeah. It's like your older brother's like, hey, squirt, you know? And you're right. like, hey, man, shut up, you know? It's like you immediately <laughs> go back to where you were when you started, you know? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, how's it going? I've had some, you know, success and I'm doing all right, you know? And then someone's like, that wasn't funny. And you're like, yeah, no, no, you're right. It wasn't funny all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> For you, when you go back, there's that day when the host is going through with the uh, everyone's pitching them ideas, yeah. right? So you'd never been in the the power seat position. No, I was in the power. Yeah, when I did that, and I actually got really nervous. It was very sweet because Lauren, we, you have a meeting with him, and then he says, "Okay, I'm going to bring everybody in," and I go, "Okay," and he goes, "Are you ready?" Because I had been in that meeting as the person sitting on the floor. Pitching an and idea. And the office is like from like there to the door. Super it might small. Even be smaller. And, we, and we pile in and everybody's piled up on stuff. And I always have my spot was on the floor. And I would sit down and sometimes But, but for it was like awesome. five hours. No, it's, or it's not that long. It's, How no, long? I mean, you usually go like 30, 40 minutes or something oh. like that. But Laura Michaels goes like, you know, this is Natalie Portman. And we all go, ah, and we apply. And then he goes, all right, now. And he points to someone and they go, yeah, so I had an idea where maybe we would do blank, and then he just goes around the room to everybody, and you have to have an idea. And uh, I, I, it was terrifying. The best guy was J.B. Smooth as a writer when I started there, and he was the funniest guy on Monday pitch meetings. Because he'd be like, uh, yeah, so uh, I got an idea where uh, you got basketballs for eyes. He goes, you fall on your face, binds right back up. I remember one time for... Uh, for uh, Steve Martin, Steve Martin, he goes, uh, oh, one of his ideas was, uh, 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 and he had a little book, and he was going through the book, and he goes, uh, 
uh, and he would take his time. Everyone else, you want to get there, and you you just slow it down. You go, uh, helicopter family, <laughs> helicopter family. They walk like this. <laughs> uh, he goes, you're a guy uh, who used to work at a bank, but now you work at a deli, and no one likes it because you make the sandwiches like this. <laughs> and. And then the best one he did, the best JB was, and it's not, I don't know why it's funny, it was Steve Martin was hosting. So Steve Martin's in the hot seat and we're all kind of like, it's Steve Martin. And he goes, hey, Steve Martin. And we all kind of, we're all giggling because it's like, what's it going to be? And he's like, I got an idea where you're smoking an extra long cigarette. <laughs> just Steve Martin just looked at him like, Okay. <laughs> And it just the balls that he had. You know, I was up the night before going, oh, yeah. God, Steve Martin, my idea's got to be good. What's it going to be? And JV just didn't give a fuck, and he just went in there, and I was like, wow, okay, I got to be able to get to that. So you only get to pitch one idea? Or can Sometimes you people would pitch a couple, or um, usually it's like if you wanted to lay claim to something that happened in the news, yeah. or if it was like a holiday, I would say, oh, you know, I do Vincent Price. We were going to do a holiday thing. So, hey, just so you know, I'm doing a Halloween sketch. I'm do-, you know, that kind of tells the room, okay, there's going to be one of those. So for writing, um, Fred Armisen used to play a joke where, where if there's something really terrible that happened in the news, like, um, <laughs> like Albert Fritzel, that guy who raised a daughter and impregnated her or whatever, you know, oh, some and, terrible yeah. story. He, it would always be Colin. He'd be like, Colin wants to do something about Albert Fritzel, which I think is really uncool. <laughs> And Colin Jost would be like, I did not, I do not want to do anything about it. So it's like, no, you were just saying, come on, man. I think it's fucked up, but he wants to do that. Anyway, like. <laughs> do you, do you, uh, you look back with some distance now in that cast? What's that? Because that cast was, I mean, in retrospect, like, yeah, loaded. Man. I a lot came of people in. went into a lot of stuff. Yeah, I came in. I started not just like, the, I started with Andy Samberg, Jason Sudeikis, and Kristen Wiig. Those were the who I started with. Yeah. So we all showed up. That was your rookie day. class. That was our rookie class. And then Colin Joe started as a writer and Brian Tucker, who's now that one of the head writers was there. We had a great year. Yeah. We were kind of just like, and the Lonely Island guys were the other writers. So, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Very lucky. You miss it a little bit. I miss the people there. I don't right. like You don't the, miss the, the fear. Yeah. I don't like going up, you know, just pitching stuff and, I mean, I already had it on the phone. I was talking to Eric Kenward, who's one of the producers there, and he goes, hey, you got any ideas? And I pitched him some ideas, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah. And it's like, it all comes back where you're like, all right, well, fuck it. You know what? No, just forget it. Forget it. Forget it. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I want to do this anymore. Yeah, you know. And, what, uh, yeah. What, uh, what movies from that decade, you were in a few of the uh, Apatow comedies. Yeah, was it Superbad? Was which, ones do you get, which one do people bring up to you the most? Superbad or uh, Pineapple Express. I was the guy at the beginning of Pineapple Express getting stoned. Um, Trainwreck now is the other one that people like. Oh, that was nice to see you guys. Um, forgetting Sarah Marshall has had a big cable. Oh, it's yeah. It's on a lot. Oh, yeah, the Jason Segel's penis. You, you never know when you're flipping channels. Yeah, I never got to see the penis. At you. I never saw his penis. <laughs> so when you were thinking about... <laughs> no, no, never saw his penis. When you, were, uh, when you were thinking about Barry and what you want to do with that, what lessons from... What was that? It was sound of the phone ring. Uh, what it lessons was the tiniest you learned... band in Austin just played... <laughs> 
What lessons you learned from those 10 years that you incorporated in a berry? Well, um, so much because, uh, you know, on Saturday Night Live, I remember Chris Rock said, what do you, what do you want to do, man? And I go, I want to direct something. And he's like, if you've been on SNL, you can direct, you know, because you write the thing. And then when you're, if your sketch gets picked, you go and say, okay, so you go to the, all the department heads and you go to production and you say, here's the, st- the you know, the, the set should look like and here's what everybody should be dreading. You pick, you, you cast it, you do all that stuff. The only difference is you get to work with a DP, a cinematographer. And um, so I felt really relaxed actually making Barry. You directed the first episode. The first three episodes I directed. And then, and then uh, Maggie Carey, Hiro Murai, and uh, Alec Berg directed the other three. The Had other... you directed anything? Like no, that, that was the whole reason I moved out to L.A. was to direct, and I right. finally got to direct. And that was fun. I fucked up because I, I worked so hard in pre-production on directing, and then I showed up and realized I, didn't, I hadn't made a choice on how to play Barry yet oh, no. <laughs> on the first day. So, like... Uh, you saw it, but it's a scene that takes place in a backyard where these guys are telling me my mission to kill yeah. a guy. And if you notice, I don't say anything really in that scene because I didn't know how to play the part. <laughs> right. So I was like, I don't think I need to say that line there. I think I could just, so I'm like, <laughs> it's me uh, not doing my actor homework. What, uh, what's the biggest thing you learned about directing from those first three episodes? Just keeping it simple, you know, oh, Clint Eastwood it, style. Yeah, but even like you know, it's it's kind of like what's the emotion that you're trying to get and know what comes before and what comes after, and not try and let people do their jobs. You hired people for a reason, yeah, on all counts. So it's let tell the DP, you know, I kind of see it this way, and I like this, and if it's not right, then say something, but don't micromanage. You know, people don't work well that way, and just to, honestly. It, because it's my thing, and I just know this from working on other things, is uh, if you're it's just kind of maintaining a cool attitude and being, uh, you know, in a good mood and kind of light, that sets the tone for everything. So if I seem calm, everyone else will be calm, even though everything's going to shit. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, By the way, this works in sports because you see this with coaches. Oh, yeah. Especially in college basketball. Like, there's coaches <laughs> that they're, they're panicking in the last four minutes. It's like, that's not helping your players. No, John yeah. Calipari. Um, yeah. Poor bastard. Yeah. He'll do that from time to time. But no, it's like, if you could just be calm and hang out, because I always remember that as a PA, as an actor in anything. If you saw the director going like this, you went, oh, we're fucked. Like, what's happening? Right. Why, if he's freaked out, then what's going on, you know? So, what about Matt and Trey in the South Park? What'd you learn from those guys with this? Um, the structure, how to write in the writer's room. So, like, Alec Berg and I, you know, we were the showrunners, and so it was us and, you know, about, you know, four to five other writers. And... It was how to run a writer's room, you know, which is kind of a, it's kind of a conversation between me and Alec and everybody else is kind of throwing in their two cents, you know, but that everything has to be kind of led by emotion. That was the thing I learned from Trey and Matt. So even if it was like, okay, Cartman has to like kill this guy and and eat him or something, you know, it's like, what's his emotion? What's he going through? (laughs) You know, what's the relatable thing, you know? And, um, and everything has to be causal. That was a big thing with Trey and, and Matt, which was you can't say this happens 
if you're doing outlining your show, your story, you can't go, this happens and this happens and this happens. You have to say this happens, so therefore this happens, so therefore this happens, but then this happens, so now therefore this happens, you know? I went to dinner once with Matt and Trey and him, and at some point you and, uh, and Trey you started doing this improv voice. Like you, you just went to some place and I was like, I'm don't belong at this table. <laughs> I, like it was like, cause he, he, he like loses it every once we in a while. We both start yeah, like, just got, acting crazy. And you're yeah. just like, all of a sudden there was nine other people at the table, but there was really only four people there. And yeah. We were just doing all these were bits. This whole group conversation. Oh, you should have seen when I was in the room when we came up with a uh, PC principal, cause that was me talking about something. And we just started going like, <laughs> We were just like, it's like the frat, you know? Right. And, like, and it was like, it was like, hey, that is not cool. You cannot, you know, we were just yeah. doing this thing. And then it became this character. But watching him do PC Principal made me laugh so hard. And anytime they do, the hardest I laughed in that room was when we did this uh, Canadian, um, any of the Canadian stuff made me laugh the hardest. Right. Uh, it was a Canadian um, sex ed video. I don't know if you saw that episode, but it, it was like, if you're watching this video, that means you're going through puberty. <laughs> he goes, you might be noticing differences in your body. For instance, when you fart, your dick gets hard. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, here's how babies are burned. And it's like, the man takes out his penis. The woman has a vagina. Then she puts her vagina on the man's face and queefs. That's how babies are burned. <laughs> and then he goes, what? That's not how babies are burned? They want my wife queef on my face. <laughs> and, and we would do that for like five hours. Just walking around going, why my wife queef on my face? Hey, why'd you queef on my face? And then his wife and like, I was just being silly. And we just do those voices. And Ann Garofino, the producer, just leaves. Because like, I'm just going to hear queef in my face for the next five hours. Were you, uh, were you worried about those guys at all? Because like, I did a pod with them last year when they were coming off the season that when Trump got elected. Oh, yeah. And they were in a dark place with just how it had all played out. Yeah, I, mean, I was in the room after the election, and it was just kind of like, well, God, what do you do? <laughs> you have this guy in there. What do you they do? Had to, like, all re- did they have to scrap the show and redo it? Like within- I don't know about that. I just know that it was a bit like... Well, you know, SNL is going, satire is just kind of hard, I guess, right now, because you have, you know, it's, it's a, there's a whole thing called a hat on a hat, which means you put a joke on a joke. Right. I was the king of that. Like, I would be like, I'm doing Peter Falk teaching people how to do Star Wars impressions. Right. And people were like, no, that's like a joke on another joke. So doing satire and Trump is like a hat on a hat. It's like this joke on a joke. And so it's, it's just difficult. Yeah, it seems like the best the best impressions are always like a piece of who you're making fun of, but then like the distorted, crazy version. Yeah, of it. and that's usually when it works the best. You know, it's been fun. I think South Park and obviously SNL have done well. You know, also is the Onion has yeah. been really funny with Trump. They really make me laugh. The the Mueller, the Robert Mueller. They had one that was like Robert Mueller eats eats five n- chicken nuggets in one sitting to get into Trump's head. <laughs> It's just Robert Mueller, like, looking at, like, it's like, it's like five 20-piece nuggets or whatever, just looking at this chicken nugget, and, oh, my God, that made me laugh. What did you learn uh, from Apatow that you used for Barry? Um, I think it was just that, that um, looseness and trying to find, just le- letting things be, especially in the writer's room, 
letting the emotion play the way it needs to go. Like not again, it's kind of like not trying to micromanage stuff. Um, for instance, there's a there's a part in the movie or the show where Barry. This doesn't ruin too much, but Barry uh, hooks up with somebody, and he he uh, and he gives that person. Their, he notices her laptop's broken, and so he gives her a laptop um, the day after they sleep with each other. And I go, and the guys in the room, we were like, "Hey, that's a nice thing, you know." He gives her her laptop, and all the female writers were like, "That's creepy as fuck." Right. <laughs> They were like, if I slept with a guy and he brought me a laptop, I'd be like, what is this? <laughs> no. And we went, oh. And then we had to rethink it. And we were, went, oh, no, keep it that way. Actually, that makes it really interesting. Okay, no, that's awesome. You know, it's, it's like letting right. it be what it wants to be instead of like, no, I had this idea. And so we have to keep it that way, you know. Um, you developed the show for a while. Yeah, I had How a long deal. was the process? I found out I had a deal on the set of Trainwreck. So I was on the set of Trainwreck, and my agent called me and said, so it was hey. Like 2015. 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And then so we wrote it, pitched it, shot the pilot in 2016, shot the show in 2017. No. So the pilot that was the pilot I watched last night That's was two a year ago. earlier. Two years ago, because yeah. Because I noticed your hair looked a little different in the second one. Yeah, fuck off, man. <laughs> It's a little bit different. Go, go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, you know what it is, too, is there's a scene with me and Henry Winkler at the end where I'm talking to him and he's in his car. Yeah. And that was my half was totally reshot. So when you see him in the car, that's 2016, and me is 2017, 16, 17. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So what, what was the biggest hurdle to get over in the development process? Nothing. It was just, you know, H- HBO just had a lot of shows, so it was just uh, kind of like... Just waiting your turn. We just were waiting our turn, but it was... Um, and they were just cool. Like the fact that I came in and pitched the show with Alec and we, you know, we just are talking, like I said, just talking about, um, yeah, it's like Travis Bickle and uh, you're talking about taxi driver and unforgiven when you're pitching a 30 minute comedy. Yeah. Most places would say leave. Um, but they had seen me in this movie, the skeleton twins and they liked that. They liked the kind of the vibe of it that they liked uh, me playing like a dramatic a dramedy type thing they were into. How many people in the room know what Henry Winkler is the most famous for? Just out of curiosity. Um, oh, okay. Man, God. Because when I was a kid, Henry Winkler was Scream. Oh, oh, Scream, fuck yeah. <laughs> no, I forgot he was in Scream. When I was a kid, he was the most famous person in the in world, the world for like. I don't know if anybody realizes that he was the most famous person in the world, world, which seems improbable. He was tall. Yeah, I know. You meet him now, and he's like, "Hello, oh my, that man stepped on me," you know. And right, but he he's so sweet, and um, he's very, uh, um, he's just a great guy, and he's very, uh, he's he's just he he. On set, he's so great and gracious with the actors. You know, he always comes up to them and goes, "I saw what you did there. That was beautiful." Oh, you know, he's just a very sweet man. Because when, uh, like, I think about now, if you ask somebody who's the coolest person alive now, you get fifty different choices, yeah. right? In nineteen seventy-seven, I think anyone under twelve would be like the Fonz, without a doubt. Yeah, even though I was born in nineteen seventy-eight. Plus, like, sorry, Bill Burn. <laughs> No, I'm joking. Um, I'm sorry I, I said fuck it. you to her or said scream. I, that, I'm sorry. I'll give you some money. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
I was looking at Wikipedia to see how many people watch Happy Days once, and it was like 35 million people per episode a couple years. He's just like, we had like three channels back then. What the hell is yeah, we I know. It's like Happy Days was a very important show. And now there's content left and right. And Well, if it wasn't for peak TV, all the TV shows I'm involved with would not exist because all my stuff's so weird, you know? It's like this, documentary now, they wouldn't exist without, you know, a ton of TV shows on Yeah, it. let's talk about documentary now. How many, how many seasons are we up to? Well, we're, we're talking about a third season right now, so we're trying What's to- your favorite one so far? Pick one. I like the Spalding Gray one we did because we came, me and John Mulaney, the one where I was the the monologist in the second season, I think because John Mulaney and I, we got like this scheduling snafu happened where we had to make an episode. We had to write and make an episode in like 48 hours. And we came up with that episode in 48 hours and did it. And 48 hours later, it was fully done. So a lot of the actors in that episode, they auditioned and then immediately went to set and did that part. So they're all a little like, I just went in for an audition. They're like, you're great. You need to go to this place right now. And they went, oh, okay. And so it was uh, madness. Are but you amused by what's happened with John Mulaney over the course of I this love decade? It. I love it. Because when you invited me to an SNL show, it was like 2010, and he had written Stefan. Yeah, you were and at the very first Stefan show. Yeah. yeah. And then he was like, that's the guy who wrote Stefan. He's a great writer. He does stand-up too. And he was like, he was very mellow. And I'm like, oh, Yeah, and really? I go, he's okay. going to be a giant... I just was like, this guy's the funniest yeah, like, right. on the planet. And then eight years later, he's he, co-hosting the Independent Spirit Awards. He just sold out Radio City Music Hall. Like, like for four days, right? Yeah, it was insane. He's one of the greatest guys in the world. How many people do you think write for that show that are thinking, this is my gateway to actually do this? I don't know. And it's funny because I look back, it's, you know, Hannibal Burris wrote when I was there and, you know, a lot of people did. Like just that J.B. Smoove wrote yeah, J. B. there. J.B. Smoove was so right, weird. He was writing there, yeah. And he just made me laugh super hard and then we could never do his ideas. <laughs> <clears throat> he also did a guy doing a drive-by in a snowstorm <laughs> where you go, break yourself, break yourself. <laughs> He would just do that in the writer's room, and I'd be on the floor laughing. I just kind of butchered it. He could do it really well. But. Have you noticed any trends in comedy that you don't like as this I decade don't goes like, along? I don't know. I kind of think people I don't are more watch. tight. What? People a little more tight? I don't know. I don't really. It's weird. I kind of I don't pay attention to stuff as much as I should, you know? I like that show, Nathan, for you. I thought that show was funny. Yeah, that's. Um, I like Detroiters. My friend Tim Robinson does that show. But yeah, I mean, I don't really watch a lot or pay attention to You still watch SNL? Not really, no. I don't. The music starts and I'll be like, uh, Oh, you just. Yeah, I just. uh, But I like, I I watch clips, you know? But also, I have like three little kids and I'm like, now that person that's like asleep at 9.45, you know? Let's talk about that. Oh, everyone's leaving. Oh. What have you learned from having three little kids? Oh man, like uh, oh, it's a good it's comedy good. audience, right? Yeah, they'll yeah, laugh yeah, at yeah. anything as they'll long laugh as there's at anything. A, it's a fart joke or yeah, yeah, yeah some go-to moves with kids. Yeah, but yeah, just farts. Even when kids are just before they even know, like when they're just babies, they'll fart and start laughing. So you're just like, <laughs> oh, okay, so it's just there from the beginning. And, <laughs> um, 
No, I love it. You know, I mean, um, I mean, some of the stuff in Barry, I think, I don't think Barry would be so kind of like emotional of a show or kind of examine this guy. You know, it's like you get older, you know, like when I was in my early 20s, we liked, you know, just really crazy punk rock humor and, and you know, fucking with the form and all this stuff and kind of crazy Zucker Brothers style stuff. And I still love that. It's not against that. But as you get older, you you know, bad things happen to you or people you care about and you yeah. start to have more empathy towards things and you start kind of realizing things about yourself and things like that. And so you, um, it finds its way into your work, you know? And I think having children um, and, you know, you're like, God, I got to be alive for this thing, you know? And I've never loved anything as much as these uh, three uh, children. And I just... Uh, uh, God, if anything happened to you guys, I don't know if what I do, you know, it's that, that you suddenly have these uh, feelings. And so it was like, oh, that starts to end up in the show, whether you know it or not, because it's just who you, who you are now. The acting class is a good device for a TV show and a movie. Because yeah. you can go a lot of ways, and there's a couple people in there who are always way too terrible. And so yeah. you can have these moments. Like, I, I always felt it was kind of underexploited. Yeah, it's also like therapy. I don't know if anybody's ever been in an acting class, but when you take acting classes, people just really want to overshare, like, immediately. <laughs> right. And for a guy who's, like, trying to hide his identity, who murders people, it's a funny position for him to be in because the minute you walk in, people just kind of go, hi, my name's so-and-so, and this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You know? And um, right. so, yeah. Yeah, the... Uh, I don't know how long the acting class gimmick goes, yeah. Does it go through all the first season? Yeah. Because the part I was excited about was obviously they grabbed different movie speeches. Yeah. You could have like somebody doing Emilio Estevez's Breakfast Club. Yeah. Well, that, the problem like, we found out with that was that we went to all these acting classes in LA and they only do scenes from movies. Yeah. They don't do theater. It was kind of, and we went to a, we watched these guys do a scene from Training Day and a guy went, so I'm playing Denzel, and he's going to play Ethan Hawke. And we were like, those aren't the characters' names. Those are the... <laughs> like, the script doesn't say Denzel Washington, the actor, who I guess is also a crazy cop. Show, you know, and, uh, and uh, you know, you would watch, you know, that. Um, but, yeah, I, it became really expensive, so oh, like, do you have to do you have to get the rights? Yeah, to it's like licensing scene? a clip. Yeah, so I mean, we used a scene from Magnolia in the pilot, kind of solely because it was <clears throat> wasn't as expensive as the other one we had written. No offense to Magnolia, and I asked Sarah Goldberg, the actress. I said, "What's a scene that people usually do?" And she goes, "Well, Julia Moore flipping out in the pharmacy in Magnolia because it gives the people a chance to like have a breakdown and right cry." Um, what about James Gum? Oh man, I love James Gum. You can't. Can you get the rights to James Gum for a scene? Would Barry do James Gum? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, okay, potentially. Somebody in the class could do it. I don't know. I'm basically setting. You want I'm me to do James to do Gum James right Gum. now? <laughs> it's up. his favorite thing I do. Is it James. really is? I'm you know who that is? That's the bad guy from Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> and we did a sketch once on the show that never made it. it was I did do it. It was a Jamie Gum talk show. <laughs> hey, how you doing? It's a Jamie Gum call. And he, and he, the, the thing was that he was so chill and kind of a great dude. 
like the joke was that the guests were kind of freaked out, but he was just like, and then uh, how'd that go, man? How was that fun? And they were like, yeah, no, I, I did that. And it's like, hey, that's cool. Well, I love that movie. Like he wasn't creepy at all. And then his co-host was the girl in the well, so it was just a shot of the well with a voice. Like, our first guest is... And it was just a shot of a well. Um, and they, uh, that was deemed weird. <laughs> I, I also did a Chris Hansen one. That one got on to John and Sonny oh, yeah. where it was Chris Hansen talk show, uh, you know, the guy to catch a predator guy? Yeah. And it was uh, uh, like a Conan, you know, Conan, like late night talk show set, but in our first guest, Philip Seymour Hoffman, and Sudeikis comes out as Philip Seymour Hoffman, but there's no host there, and he walks in, and no one's there, and there's a plate of cookies on the desk, and he goes there and get a plate of cookies, and it cuts that high-wide shot, like, in The Catch a Predator, and he eats the cookies, and I would come out as Chris Hansen, I'm like, can I get you a glass of milk? <laughs> no, 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 we're just going to talk. So what are you here for? Um, uh, I'm promoting a movie? Oh, you, you made a movie. What's the movie about? <laughs> that was one of my favorite. Can I get you a glass of milk? That was one of my favorite. What was the guy, the guy Keith from NBC? Oh, What's Keith the... Morrison. Yeah, he's my yeah, favorite you kinda, guy. You kind of oh. ruined that guy a little bit. Because he's still hello. on TV, and every time I see him, I think of your impression of him. Yeah, the sing-song kind of oh. like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, we used to do a thing. He goes, the other, one time he went, but then there was that DNA. Oh, that pesky DNA. <laughs> like, you got to know, you're just like... And these are people who lost loved ones. Like, you right. imagine them wanting... Like, that's my dad you're talking about. Right. One time he said, uh, this woman was like, my husband went missing, and uh, they found his car out in the woods, and they popped the trunk, and they looked in the... And, and he was inside, and Keith Morrison said... Was he all right? <laughs> it's like, no, he wasn't all right. He was dead. <laughs> he goes, oh, no, that's terrible. Was there anyone from the last five years that you're like, shit, I wish I was still on us? Oh, yeah, that, I'm that sure. That could be a wheelhouse. Oh, man, I don't know. Break I'm it sure. out next week. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there's always somebody that we kind of, I don't know. It's it's always week by week, too. I mean, it's never like a, I, I rarely would, you would rarely hold on to a thing. Anytime you would try to pre-plan, like even right now, people are like, oh, what are you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. You know, I mean, you you, you show up and, I, you know, I always knew as a, as a cast member, you kind of didn't like it when someone showed up with like an arsenal of stuff and they're yeah. like, I'm going to do with this, I'm going to do with this. And then this person's coming in and you would, as a cast member, you go, well, I'll be over here, you know, and right. you just kind of not do anything. And uh, so I kind of like the, the sensibility of the show is different from when I was on. And that's cool. It's like a different comedic sensibility. So you kind of want to just fit in there and go with them, you know. What was the runner up title for Barry? What was your second choice? What was I the know. one you really wanted? But they there wasn't you one. Of? It was Mike Lombardo and the medium was like, oh, you should call it Barry. And, and that I was went, it? And I went, all right. I, I don't think about this shit, man. I just kind of was like, oh, that's cool. Right on. And they're like, that might be a dumb title. And I'm like, oh, it is? Okay. Well, do you want to do another one? No? Oh, okay. And they just gave me a, a show. I mean, I'm an idiot. 
We, uh, like, is it about Barack Obama? And I'm like, no. We're going to take some questions. We have the, the microphone. Uh-oh. Yeah, this will get, this could get lively quickly. Uh, raise your hand if you have a question. Nobody has a question? There's one in the back. You guys can ask us anything. Yeah, seriously, we're right here. Hey, so my name's John Mark Junkins. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, you know, famously gets into method and does a lot of crazy stuff for his roles. What's the weirdest thing LeBron James did for Chandler? Oh. Mm. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, he, uh, LeBron was awesome. He was so laid back. I mean, he just was kind of chill and just hanging out and, and, um, he loved the idea that he was cheap. I go, what if you were cheap? And he goes, what do you mean? Like, we were sitting there shooting the scene. I go, what if it was just like you were cheap, like you split the check? And he, he just started laughing. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> like, you could just say shit to him, and, and he would just go for it. And when we do this scene where we're playing one-on-one, um, Chris Rock was on set. So Chris Rock was shouting out shit for him to say. Like, his whole thing about, like, then you'll meet her, and then you'll buy her a nail salon, and you'll do that. Like, oh, that's Chris Rock. Wow. And that was nerve-wracking, man, having to play basketball with LeBron James. I didn't... You guys still hang out? No. (laughs) I mean, we... I got to go to Akron, and we went to Akron, and, you know, he's, like, the king of that play. Well, he's the king, I guess, you know, but we went to Akron, and, um... And walked around and went to his favorite burger place. And well, he knew you're a Thunder fan. He's yeah, probably yeah, kept yeah. his distance with you. Yeah, he didn't give a shit. He's like, well, we beat him, so I don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> but but he, he was very uh, he was very sweet and very cool. And it was one moment we were in Akron, we were just hanging out with his friends because he just his best friends are his friends from high school. I mean, that's who he hangs out with. And there was just a moment where like we're all hanging out and his wife was like, um, Hey, do you, you want to get another speaker and we'll have like a little dance party here at this after party that we had for Trainwreck? And he was like, okay. And then the guys were like, hey, LeBron, can you also pick up this and this and this? And he was like, yeah, 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 okay, wait, what, wait, what do I have to get again? And it was just like, you know, anybody, you know, right. I was like, pick this up, pick up that. And they were calling him and making him do all these runs. So he showed up with like a speaker, but also like, you know, soda and this and that and some aspirin for this guy or whatever. What else do we have? Anybody out there? No one gives no, a shit. Back. Huh? <laughs> Any questions? When, I know. What? When Stefan got popular, was there ever a consideration of a Stefan movie? And did you ever brainstorm any ideas for one? No, me and um, John Mulaney, they talked to us about it. And then John, John and I were kind of not really into the idea, I Who's think. Who's they? Um, like, like Paramount and stuff. And not like they didn't say we want to make one and Lauren Michaels wasn't like you have to make one it was kind of like if you wanted to make one I'm sure we could do that and you know what do you guys think and we I remember I was just like it didn't work as a sketch yeah that's why it's on update because the sketch made no sense yeah so I don't know how you make a movie out of that and um the reason people like it is because John makes me laugh during it um so. What was the funniest thing he put into the card that you didn't know was coming? Oh, there was one every, time that everything. he destroyed you. Oh, when he's a Jewish Dracula was the one that destroyed you. <laughs> when he said, you know, this is Blackula, the black Dracula. Well, you know, they have a Jewish Dracula. And Seth Meyers knew what the thing was by then. And he said, oh, what is it? What's his name? And I said, Sidney Applebaum. <laughs> 
And I laughed for like 20 minutes. And then one time he put Spud Webb in all the clubs and didn't tell me. Yeah. And then the last time he put Dan Cortez in all the clubs and he didn't tell me. And one time he said a kid had knees like biscuits. <laughs> so you're reading the cue cards and you have no idea he's no, stuck these in. No, and the fling flips over and it says he has knees like biscuits. And I just went... <laughs> and it, the funny thing is, like, as I'm walking out there, people are laughing. The cue card guys are laughing. Everyone is laughing. That's what no one sees is that everyone's laughing. People are on the other side of the cue cards laughing. You know... But whatever. Sandberg's like, it's an act. And I don't know. What else? we have anybody else out there? Oh, we have a hand up here. Hi. Oh. Um, who is your all-time favorite character from SNL that you didn't play? Oh. They um, didn't play. Interesting. Yes. Uh, probably Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer, Phil Hartman. <laughs> and I love Deep Thoughts, whereas um, Alec Berg and I actually were just doing a bit of Deep Thoughts uh, we were texting because we they 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 put us apart, and so we were texting deep thoughts to each other. <laughs> and um, uh, he said, uh, "I bet the main reason the police keep people away from a plane crash is they don't want anybody walking in and lying down in the crash stuff. <laughs> then when somebody comes up, act like they just woke up and go, what was that?'" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, those are the funniest. Uh, Free Dummy was our favorite one, which is if you ever fall off the Sears Tower, just go limp like a dummy and someone will catch you. Because, hey, Free Dummy. <laughs> but Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer was the hardest. That was the thing that had unlocked my brain in some way of what you could do in sketch comedy, where it was this weird combination of a weird concept idea, but it also had a great performance by Phil Hartman in it. You know. Good theme song. Yeah. Everything. They probably only did like Rock. three. Yeah. yeah. They only made a couple. And he's like, your world frightens and confuses me. <laughs> right. All that shit just made me yeah. laugh. Anybody else? Oh. And there's someone over there too. Hey, down here. Uh, I was wondering what the first idea you pitched when you uh, started SNL. Oh, the very first pitch meeting, very first thing, I pitched to Steve Carell that he would play Bobby Flay in Iron Chef and that he would get electrocuted. Because I worked as, a, as an assistant editor on Iron Chef and Bobby Flay got electrocuted. And it was my favorite piece of footage because he grabs a thing, he grabs this thing and he just goes, Bip! and he just drops. <laughs> He's like doing all this stuff and he just goes, <laughs> <laughs> like one of those things where you're like he probably shit himself like it was just and we, we were like did you see this and we just kept playing it over and over again and slowing it down and like we were like oh man it was like oh <laughs> yeah who else is out there is this one this um, I have a question who are you most intimidated by like doesn't have to be a famous person even. But, like, who in your life are you most intimidated by? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I still have the kind of relationship, and they're wonderful, very warm people. But, like, when you were a freshman, how you always think the seniors, you're always kind of intimidated by the seniors. So anytime I see Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or Seth Meyers, 
or, you know, Fred even to an extent, I'm always like, can I get that for you? Can I, you know, uh, they're always, you're you like know, the rookie. I'm always the rookie around those well, you guys. Said like, if, if we're around Steve Martin and Marty Short, I'm more comfortable around them than I am if, like, Tina Fey's there. I'm always like, oh, was that funny? Or, you know, and I want to make it very clear, they're not that way to me. They're just normal, nice people. It's my own, I'm just a rookie to them. You said the, the yeah, scene don't. in Barry when he leaves the acting class and goes to get beers and he's super uncomfortable around them was yeah. based on you and Amy and Tina, right? Well, me going to, like, a bar and you would go to a bar with all these people who, like, you know, and Parnell and Ra- same thing with Parnell, Rachel Dratch, any of those people, Daryl Hammond. Anytime I see any of them, I'm so kind of uh, immediately a freshman, you know. Um, and yeah, I just so badly wanted to fit in there, you know. And they were perfectly nice to me. I just was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and also, to be honest, my eight year old daughter, I'm super intimidated by her. She's just way too smart. Mm. Anybody else? This person's been super, super. Well, first you owe me money. (laughs) Okay, give her the microphone back. (laughs) I fucking help you out. You throw it in my face. (laughs) Give her the fucking money. Do you prefer drama or comedy? I kind of like them both, you know. I never see it that way, drama or comedy. I kind of just see it as a story, you know, and you kind of. You do the story, and sometimes it's funny, or sometimes it's dramatic. I kind of feel like if something's all of one, and I don't enjoy it as much, you know. I kind of like a combination, you know, because um, I just kind of feel like that's how. When you're trying to figure out the truth of a thing, you know, like there's, I've been in very awful situations where something really funny happens. You know what I mean? I think we all have. Or you're in a funny thing, and then suddenly something really terrible happens. And everyone, now you're in a new mode, you know. It's, uh, those are the parts in life I think I'm the most interested in. And, and those are the kind of books I like. I like, you know, George Saunders is a writer. He's so beautiful at doing that stuff, you know, of, of writing these stories that'll, that'll, um, that ride that so well. Tobias Wolf's another guy I really like. And so anyway. So. And you're getting else? no money. Oh, wait, a couple. This guy. Oh, wait. Was yeah. Oh. Ah, uh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> no, give it, you can give it to him after. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I can only, I can't see over there. Yeah, so. it's hard to see. Um, so I was just wondering, like, as a dad, how do you, how do you give your kids perspective about you being famous? And, like, that not everyone's dad is famous. What is they that don't like? give a shit. I mean, they really don't care. <laughs> how do you, like, expose... Well, they'll work. see the billboards of me up on the, in in, uh, in L.A. right now. There's like the there's like these giant billboards of me everywhere, and they're just like, Ugh. <laughs> and I go, and my five year old, I'm like, hey, look at that billboard. There's your dad, you know, and she goes, get over yourself. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took him to go see uh, Finding Dory. Okay, so. They saw me in Clive with Chance of Meatballs, and I'm like, that's dad. And they went, we don't want to watch this movie anymore. <laughs> and then I took him to go see Finding Dory, and I'm in the very beginning of that movie, and my voice came my five-year-old just stood up and walked out of the theater. <laughs> and I went out, and she was kind of like, uh, like, dude, you should tell me you're in this thing. You can't just spring that on me while we're in the theater. But I kind of get it. Like, if my dad showed up in the Millennium Falcon, I'd be fucking terrified. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, Chewy, Han, Bill Sr., how are you? 
Hey, guys, whoa, whoa, I don't want to get in the way here. I know you guys are doing stuff, but Bill Sr., I'll be over here. You know, that'd be terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, they don't, they could give a shit. And, like, their friends will be like, oh, I saw your dad in a thing. And they're like, okay. I, so when good. they get older, they, get, they actually get legit mean. Yeah. My Great. 12-year-old daughter is like, just so throw a barber every once in a while. Just cut your soul. No. It really that, does. Yeah, it's hilarious. Like, shut up, Dad. You don't even play basketball anymore. And you're like, like hey. Oh, Jesus. Shut up. Well, uh, you're dumb, you know. No, I don't know. but Yeah, you can't really fire back at your kids. You can't. No, my five-year-old, she's a, the oldest got her, the tooth fairy came, and the, the, the eight-year-old got the tooth fairy came, and then I go, hey, the, you know, tooth fairy came last night, and her, the five-year-old went, wait, someone was in our house? <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, no, the tooth fairy came, and she's like, so someone's just in-house while I'm sleeping. I'm like, I'm on the bottom bunk, and she's on the top bunk, and you guys are just cool with that. <laughs> like, that's fucking weird. They're just not into it. And I try to give them to watch stuff. I try to give them to watch the Goonies, and they were like, this looks old! <laughs> and they just want to watch, like, these mermaid shows on Netflix where it's like, from Australia, that's like, we got to get back to the water. <laughs> uh, the time's almost up. You know, like, these things, and I'm like... Wait, oh, none of them are in the YouTube stage yet, right? No, but they did watch... That's a dark stage. Some kids showed them Stefan, uh, my oldest oh. daughter, Stefan, and she was like, these kids at school showed me this thing where you were, like, covering your mouth, and, and I was like, yeah, it's a character I play called Stefan, and she went... All right, and the guy, and she went, and the other guy, that's your boyfriend? And I went, yeah, that's my boyfriend. And she went, all right, well, <laughs> that's cool. And I was like, so what's the story with you guys? <laughs> I was like, well, he's the guy in the news, and I was supposed to do this. And then she goes, and then you guys, like, became a couple? And I was like, yes, we actually got married. And she was like, oh, that's cool. Well, all right. <laughs> yeah, it was just a normal conversation. Anybody else out there? Well, that dude, I took. Oh yeah, that been, guy. He's been waiting. Uh, were there any non-comedic hosts on SNL that you thought would have made great writers full time? Oh, uh, J- John Hamm was really funny. When John Hamm would host, we were always were like, "Wow, geez, John's really funny." Uh, Bieber, fuck Bieber. <laughs> that was my least favorite host was Justin Bieber, and I have no, I'm, I, I don't talk shit about anybody publicly ever except Justin Bieber he was such a he was, he's very rude to people I think he's in a better place now I hope so because when he hosted he was I just was like why is he being so rude to people um let me try to think um Ham who oh well Justin Timberlake yeah he was really funny and Timberlake would just show up with nobody these people would show up with like tons that was the thing with Bieber had like a giant entourage with him yeah. Like, he had more people than Obama when Obama came. Like, he had more. <laughs> and I remember one time he didn't, like, he had, like, a guy who held his pizza, and he had a guy that held, like, a Diet Coke and all that stuff. And at one point he didn't, like, the, because you have to do a quick change. And this Donna would, she would do a quick change where she takes your, you know, changes your next costume. You got, like, 30 seconds. And Justin was like, I don't like you touching me. What are you doing? Like, he didn't like her grabbing him or whatever. 
And the guy who held the pizza, and he went, Justin, Justin, she's just trying to change your clothes. (laughs) (laughs) The entourage thing is funny, though, because I, like, when people come over to do podcasts with me, it's always funny who just shows up solo. Like, Kurt Russell was, like, the best dude by himself. He's like, I'm just here. Smell the cigarettes. It was 10 in the morning. Yeah. It was like everything I wanted from Kurt Russell. Man, Kurt Russell, I saw him at a Christmas party and fully just geeked out. I was like, dude, The Thing is like one of my favorite movies. And he was like, oh man, I'm going to tell you some shit about that. And he just started telling me things, stories. And J.J. Abrams was there. I'm doing so many name drops, sorry. But then J.J. Abrams just came over and was like, wait, what? And we both were like, he was just telling us things, stories. And we're like, ah. It was rad. But yeah, um, Ham Timberlake just shows up by himself and can kind of just do anything and you throw anything at him and he could do it. The people um, that come in by themselves and just try to fit in are always the heroes. Yeah, they kind of are the ones that you kind of feel really like, oh, they get it. You know, uh, Franco was kind of that way. Uh, mm. You know, Anne Hathaway was that way a bit. Um, Scarlett Johansson was that way. Scarlett Johansson would just be hanging out and be like, what do you guys want me to do? Okay. Um, mm. You know. Anyone else out there? Or should we wrap it up? Let's see. Oh, you got one more? All right, let's take one more. Any uh, good Amy Schumer stories from Shooting Trainwreck? <laughs> no, I mean, we just, I mean, yeah, I mean, it was like the longest uh, tour of our lives. Like, we just, we went to Australia, we went to, we went everywhere. Um, the thing I think of... <laughs> That Amy did was the first time I met her and her sister. We I auditioned for the movie, and then we went to the girls' three premiere party in New York. And um, I we watched the show, and we're sitting there, and I'm and Amy and I are kind of chatting, and she's like, "So, and basically, it was I, it was like I'd done my callback, and it was essentially like I think I got the movie. You know, Judd Apatow made us go have a date together, and he watched us. Seriously? Yeah, it was awful. <laughs> Right, Amy and I are like. So was you're he just like gonna... the waiter, or was he? No, yeah, he was table? like, "Why, well, hello." <laughs> so, what are you guys doing? Uh, specials today? <laughs> and that became a Netflix special, and yeah, all that. there it was. But no, but he said, um, he's, you know, he said, "I want to see how you guys interact with each other." So he took us to this restaurant and made us. Uh, like just talk to each other and we were just looking and he's just sitting there looking at us while we ate and kind of just looked at him and it was so bizarre. I hope he doesn't do that with his daughters. Yeah, that'd be weird. Yeah. Easy, buddy. Hey. Um, But Amy and I, so we kind of was like, I think I got the part. I was feeling like I did, but I hadn't officially gotten. So we were chatting and it was a really nice thing. We had this really awesome kind of getting to know you talk. And then when I went up to put on my... um, coat. I felt like my coat was really heavy and I didn't know why. And then when I walked out, I realized she and her sister had put all the silverware in my, my coat. So I got caught. Like, I was trying to steal all the silverware. They played a practical joke on me. It was really funny. We're wrapping this up. Uh, check out Barry. It's really good. Oh, and thanks. I think it's a, a fun little next step for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it's really good. Thanks, uh, guys. Thanks for coming out. We really appreciate it.